back to our teaching in the book of Genesis. It's been a while since we've been here, but now we are refocusing once again in Genesis. So we were last here, we were looking at chapter 23 in the death of Sarah. And the theological importance of this relates back to God's promise to give Abraham the land of promise. That is all the land of Canaan that we know will become the nation of Israel, the land of Israel to be fulfilled. We know much, much, much later on through the Messiah, that is in the return of Jesus Christ and that which God had promised Abraham, that is the boundaries, Genesis chapter 15, all of those things would be fulfilled. But what we see in chapter 23 concerning the death of Sarah Abraham's only real acquirance in the land, Abraham, is the cave of Machpelah. That is, this, was, this, was, this would serve as somewhat of a down payment. That is, as the spirit to the believer in Christ Jesus is a down payment of all that God will give unto him in the day that the believer is glorified. When we are actually taken into the presence of God, when we are raptured, when we return in the second advent of Christ, and then we receive all of those glorious things that God has promised to us. What? The Holy Spirit was given to us believers as a down payment. In this same principle, we see what? As Abraham purchases this cave for Sarah's burial place, and we know that other um, of the patriarchs would be buried in this cave, Abraham himself never received the promised land. He never received the promised land. But this cave served as somewhat of a down payment that God has allowed him to acquire a part of the promised land in so much that in times to come, that is, when the day will be finally fulfilled, Abraham will inherit all of the promised land. So the cave of Machpelah serves in a sense in a sense, a theological import to this principle. That is a down payment of what is to come. All right. So now as we get into chapter 24, dealing with a bride for Isaac, it is a very extensive narrative. And because now, of course you can always find theological high points throughout all texts of scripture, but it, it's not necessary to hit every single solitary point for you to get a good understanding of what's going on in the text. And we see that chapter 24 is very lengthy and it is also extremely narrative. But the points are, are very succinct that is being made. Or should I simply say the principle concerning the nature of God. And we'll, I think what I'll do is I'll highlight those principles, maybe as I walk through certain aspects of the text, but it highlights the nature of God also working in conjunction with the actions of men. Okay. But we'll talk about those particular things, two things about the nature of God that we will see in chapter 24 in conjunction, working in conjunction with the actions or the response of men. All right. But nevertheless, so let me, for the most part, simply read through chapter 24, mostly, and then we'll talk about certain aspects as we move through the text. All right. So let's begin 24 and one. Now, Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household who had, who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and, and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, but you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son, Isaac. The servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? The Lord, and then Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me 
and who swore to me saying to your descendants, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this, my oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Okay, so now we open up basically with the scene that Abraham is now an old man. And so he would probably be approximately 140 years old at this time. Remember, Sarah died when she was 127 years old. So we're opening the scene approximately three years later. And this will set Isaac. We know, according to Genesis chapter 25, Isaac would be approximately 40 years old at this time. And what Abraham is making, he is preparing to do since he is old. And remember, marriages were arranged, prearranged at this time. So Abraham is preparing to take a wife for his son, Isaac, of course, before he dies. And because Isaac also is of age to take a wife. So he makes his servant, the eldest servant in his house. Now, we'll notice throughout this entire chapter, the name of that servant is not mentioned but we also know through because of Genesis chapter 15, and we, we won't get into all of those details, but because of Genesis chapter 15, this particular servant's name is Eleazar, and he is the eldest servant in Abraham's house. And so he makes him put his hand under his thigh. And this was a, a way of taking an oath. There were several ways of taking oaths during that time. Okay. It's many different type of ways of taking an oath, but this was one, a particular way of taking an oath and he would place his hand under the thigh. And this is to give a sense that is uh, as we, a sexual sense. That is when I say sexual, that means with respect to the posterity of Abraham or the children that would be born to Abraham. And so he was literally placing Eleazar by taking this vow under a curse in a sense by saying that his children, Abraham's children would avenge himself, would avenge Abraham upon Eleazar if Eleazar uh, refuses or does not with complete sincerity keep the oath that he is making with Abraham. So you keep this vow under some sense of a threat. Okay, and that's the idea. And that is to take a wife for his son, Isaac, and that wife that he should take from Isaac should not come from the people in whose land Abraham is presently dwelling. That is the Canaanites. And we know for the most part, for the most part, and let me say a couple of things about that. The Canaanites were not believers in God. They had, they had no true knowledge and worship of Yahweh the God of Abraham. And he also desired that he should take a wife back from his father's house. Okay. Which would be approximately what about 450 miles away. So that was a significant journey to take significant journey, but nevertheless from his father's house. And as we work through the text, it does seem to appear that Abraham's family has some knowledge of God. Now, I'm not saying that they were worshipers of God because there, there is text as we looked, as we look at the names of Abraham's family, there can be a relationship drawn to the worship of like the moon goddess and sun goddess and things of that nature. Okay. So I'm not saying that they are not, they were not idolaters, but what I am suggesting is it is clear as we are, and I'll point this out as we work through the text that it is, it suggests that they had some knowledge of Yahweh, the God of Abraham. Okay. But anyway, so he had to take a vow to take a daughter, take a, take a wife from his father's house. And if this woman refuse, if this woman refused to go with Eleazar, back to Isaac to be a wife of Isaac, then he would be released. That is Eleazar would be released from the vow, released from the curse of the vow. Okay. But he also said in verse number seven, 
And let me talk about this part. We see the faith of Abraham and this becomes the theme of what's taking place in chapter 24. And that is the very central idea. Abraham believed that God would give Eleazar success in, in finding a wife for Isaac because he said, notice what he said, that the Lord God who took him from his father's house brought him into the land of Canaan, he would send his angel. Actually, that word angel means messenger. That's the word messenger there in Hebrew, malach, messenger. He would send his messenger and that the messenger would guide Eleazar. So what we begin to see, and this is one of the key things that I'm going to talk about at the end of this chapter, is the providence of God. That is how God will provide for his people, providing here a wife for Isaac, okay? The providence of God. Now, as we work through this text, again, I don't want to be premature. As you guys know, I usually am. We're going to see another aspect of one of the qualities of God. But thus far, that's where we are. Eleazar, Abraham, I'm sorry, has made Eleazar the eldest servant in his house, take an oath to get a wife for his son Isaac from his father's house. And Abraham has expressed belief that God would provide for him. And remember, even if we deal with that, we can see earlier, just a few chapters earlier in chapter 22, how God has shown and proven himself all throughout Abraham's life. That is from the time that Abraham was 75 being called up into the land of promise up until the time that God gives him that son, Isaac, up until the time of chapter 22, when Abraham willingly is willing to sacrifice that son. And what does God do? He provides himself an alternative sacrifice. So Abraham has learned throughout his life, God will provide. And so that's what we see concerning God in this text, the providence of God. Okay. But anyway, let's go on. Verse number 10. Then the servant took 10 camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his masters in his hand. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. He said, O Lord, my, O Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master, Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now, may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink and who answers drink and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jaw on her shoulder. Now, let me stop there and just simply talk about this for a brief moment. So now Eleazar prepares for the journey and he takes 10 camels. Now, what you have to understand is Abraham took a lot of stuff. This would be a clear indication, a, a visible indication of the wealth and greatness of Abraham that Abraham has acquired in the land. And we know that it was God who had prospered Abraham. OK, so all of this would be an indication of Abraham's wealth as well as it would serve. And we'll see later on in the text as gifts. He'll be able to provide gifts unto the woman who should ever appear, appear unto him. We know Rebecca gifts for the woman as well as bridal gifts unto the family. Okay. Bridal gifts unto the family. And we'll later on see that this would be her brother even, and even her mother. Okay. Her family's household. So he took bridal gifts prepared to go and see. But before then he began to pray as he was on his journey into Mesopotamia, he prayed a prayer for God's sovereign direction. And now 
even though and I forgot to uh, uh, to tell you guys thematic. Remember, we talk about the providence of God. There is a verse in the book of Proverbs that deals with this. Remember Proverbs three and five. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean to your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. That is the idea of God's providence, trusting God, knowing that God will fulfill those needs in your life. Okay. So that's a wonderful thing that we see. So what did he do? He began to pray and ask God that the woman who should come to the well, he is now at the well, let that particular woman to whom he asked, asked her, give him some water. And she also water his camels as well. Let her be the one that God has chosen. So notice the idea is once again, the providence and the hand of God. God is involved. God is behind the scene. And notice all throughout this text, we don't hear anything from God. There is not a word, a prophetic word that comes from God. These are men who are simply trusting and believing that God will provide. Okay. But anyway, so that this woman back to the, to the prayer of Eleazar would not only give him a drink, but also give his camels a drink. Now what's important about giving his camels. Remember there are 10 camels and Camels can drink a lot of water. So therefore, for a woman to not only do this, it, it would be very intensive for the woman to give drink to all of those camels. So that's a lot of work that's involved. So that would be a clear sign. And that's what Eliezer is asking for because of her actions. This would be a sign that she is the woman that God himself has chosen to be the bride of Isaac. Okay. But anyway, so, and there's another word too. notice. We see loving kindness, loving kindness. Okay. Chesed, that's the word chesed. And the, that is also thematic in this particular chapter. That is the loving kindness of God's servants. I'm sorry, of God to his people, God's loving kindness to his people. God's loving kindness to Abraham, bringing him into the land, giving him a son, and now providing a wife to the son. God's loving kindness, even we'll see to the servant of Abraham by prospering his journey, allowing him to see the wife that he has appointed unto Isaac, Abraham's son, so quickly by not in prospering his journey later on in the text, when we come to the family of Rebecca and releasing her quickly, Rebecca agreeing quickly to return home, the loving kindness of God. So we'll see that chesed of God, loving kindness, also faithfulness of God all throughout this particular text. All right. But anyway, so let's continue. So now he has met Rebecca. And we see this Rebecca being introduced, verse number 15, as Rebecca, the daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor. And so, and, and it gives the family thing, Milka. Milka is her mother. And a lot of times women will refer to themselves by their mother. And we'll see that even later on in the text with respect to Rebecca. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. With respect to Isaac's mother. Okay. Sarah dealing with Sarah's tent, but premature. But anyway, we're going on here. She is the daughter of Nahor, daughter of Bethel. That's the idea. So that is Abraham's family that we're dealing with here. And so she, and the, the remarkable thing here is he went for, he went to find a woman from the family of Abraham. And immediately one of the very first women that he see sees is from the family of Abraham. So we see the hand of God and the providence of God. But now what we are also being introduced here is the second thing, which I was supposed to talk about at the end of the book, but since I'm here, talk about it. The sovereignty of God. So you see, God is not only providing as we, as we see in the text, providing for the needs of his people, 
but we see the hand of God. Notice, okay, and I don't want to get into a lot of details, but it's something that you have to really just consider. This man started off on a journey of about 450 miles. They're not in cars, they're on camels, so they're not going fast, they're going slow. And it takes a considerable amount of time for him to get there. You know what his prayer is, a daughter of the sons of Abraham's people to be the wife of Sarah, okay? And then he finally gets to a particular point, a particular well, a fountain of water, time to drink. All of a sudden, there is that particular woman to be at the well at that time. How in the world is all of this coming together? God is working in the background, but notice what God is doing. He is working in the background in all of these things to accomplish his will. And in the accomplishing of his will, he is providing for his people. So these are the two aspects of the nature of God that is being revealed in chapter 24. This is the theme, the very providence of God and the sovereignty of God, how God has it. And, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a quiet power of God, how God has the power to work all things in accordance to his will. And you really don't see a, a lot of, you don't even know what's going on, but God is at work. It's kind of like the same thing that you see in the book of Ruth. And of course, you know, we can't go into all of that, but nevertheless, Rebecca is now on the scene. So let's keep reading. And we don't want to tire out the text because it's so long. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had relations with her. And she went back and she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your jar. She said, drink my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all her camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing 10 shekels in gold and said, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again, she said to him, we have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. He said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me. See that? That's providence. The Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brother. So let's stop there. So now we see the interaction begin b between Eliezer and Rebecca. And so he asks her for a drink of water in accordance to the prayer that he prayed to the Lord. The young maiden agreed to give him a drink and also to provide a drink for his camels as well. And so now we see the prayer that Eliezer has made unto the Lord is now being fulfilled in Rebecca. So therefore it is the sign from God that indeed she is the wife that God has chosen for his master. But now notice something this talks about as well. She was a very pretty girl and she was also a virgin. But so now once again, she provides for his animals. And so Believing that God has answered his prayer, Eliezer asks her, is there room at your father's house for accommodation? This was a common thing because uh, uh, to, to provide for, for even for strangers or family members to provide for people at your home, to, to open up your home to them and provide for whatever needs that they had at the moment in their travel. OK, so that's, this was nothing uh, unusual. So he he asked her for that. And of course, she responds and says that it was. Now, this is one of our first indication 
concerning the family of Rebecca, that is, we'll see Laban, her brother, coming in, into the picture later on, but her father, Bethuel, these seem to, this seems to suggest that her family was a family of means as well, because if, she, if they could lodge 10 camels, feed them as well as Eleazar, and we'll find out that there were other men with him, that indeed Rebecca's family had to be a family of at least some means, okay? But nevertheless, in finding her, Eleazar once again begins to praise and worship the Lord. Now, what is clear about Eleazar is that Eleazar is not only the servant of Abraham, he is also a believer and worshiper in the God of Abraham. Now, to be honest with you guys, I am, um, I am somewhat impressed by Eleazar. And one of the reasons I'm impressed by Eleazar is because of his sincerity and his fidelity to Abraham. Remember, and this is why I say, we know that in the beginning of this chapter, Abraham made Eleazar take an oath, okay? And it was an oath that had a sense of a curse. That's why he put the hand under the thigh. Remember, we talked about that already. And, okay, so there's the, the idea of you need to do this and you have to do this and you better do this, okay? But the reason why that I say that I'm still impressed, I don't think, I don't think it was just because of the, the curse of the oath or the vow that Eleazar took that we can see the sincerity, the fidelity, and even clear it's, it's clear that Eleazar loves his master, Abraham. It's clear he does. But what impresses me so is we know that back from Genesis chapter 15, that peradventure, if Abraham were not to have any sons, if he weren't to have any sons, that Eleazar would have, would have inherited all the things in Abraham's house. So Eleazar would have kind of functioned as the son, the son of Abraham, inheriting all of Abraham's goods. And notice, we know according to human nature, people always look at any at opportunity to advance themselves. But we don't see that with Eleazar. Eleazar seems more than willing to, he wants to find a wife for Isaac. But if he does that, any opportunity of inheriting all of Abraham's stuff he can give that up. You won't get it. It'll now be Abraham's son who gets it. But it seems that Eleazar does not care. And that's why I'm impressed by Eleazar. He's not concerned for himself. He's concerned for his master's son, Isaac, and his master. Okay. And so what does he do? He once again begins to worship God in thanksgiving for what God has done in allowing him to find a wife for his master's son, for Abraham's son. Okay. So now let us go. Verse number 28. Then the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban and Laban ran outside to the man at the spring. When he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, this is what the man said to me. He went to the man and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside since I have prepared the house and the place for the camels? So the man entered the house. Then Laban unloaded the camels and he gave straw and feed to the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. But when food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I've told my business. And he said, speak on. So I'll stop there. So it's very simple. So what happens? So now Rebecca runs home, tells them what has taken place, shows them the jewelry that Eliezer had given to her. And he had given her a nose ring about uh, one fifth of an ounce, right? about one fifth of an ounce and also two gold bracelets. So he had given her some very expensive jewelry with the nose ring and the bracelets. And then we see the introduction of a bond of her brother, 
Laban. Now, this guy will be very important as we work through the narratives of Genesis and we see the son of Isaac. Uh, Isaac, we know Isaac will have two sons who will be twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And it will be this Laban that will play a key role in God's development of Jacob and of his, his faith as well as his character. God will develop his faith and character, that is Jacob's faith and character, through this Laban, Rebecca's brother. Okay, but nevertheless, we see her brother taking the key role in dealing with the marital contract because in, at this particular time, in this culture, it is usually the brother, the elder brother, who sets the term for the contract. And so you kind of see him taking the lead in the household at this particular time. So he welcomes Eleazar. He provides for Eleazar as well as Eleazar's men and his camels need. And then he welcomes him into the home. But remember, I told you guys earlier that it appeared that Abraham's family, that's where we are now, are aware of some sense of God. I didn't say that they were worshipers of the true God, but at least there's a sense of awareness of God. We see that in verse number 31, when Laban says, come in blessed of the Lord. So blessed of Yahweh. So there seems to be an indication that they are at least aware. And remember, once again, as we're dealing with Abraham, uh, uh, sending back to his father's house to take a bride for his children, this becomes a way for the patriarchs. That is, notice Abraham sends back to his father's house to take a bride for his children. And notice what will happen later on. It will come about that Isaac was sent back for his, for his father, was sent back to his father's house. Because remember, the son of Isaac will be Jacob. Jacob will be back to Laban's house, this, this Laban right here. And he will take a, and Jacob will get a wife for himself. We know it would be two wives, but a wife for himself from his brother. So this becomes the, the tradition, so to speak, not to take a wife from amongst the Canaanites. And it's established here. Okay. But nevertheless, that's basically what we see. Laban is preparing, uh, uh, providing for Eleazar and his encampment. And so be before they begin to settle in, Eleazar gets directly to the point to tell them why he is here. Before we start eating, drinking, and relaxing, he says, all right, let me tell you that Eleazar gets right down to business. Okay. So now let's do deal with that section. Now, I'm going to read a very lengthy section here because all Eleazar is going to do is he's simply going to rehearse from the very beginning of this chapter what Abraham did in making him take a vow to go and find a wife for his son. So that's all he's going to do basically in this section. So just allow me to read through it. It's not a lot to comment about. 34. So he said, I'm Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich and he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, servants and maids and camels and donkeys. Now, Sarah, my master's wife, bore son to my master in her old age, and he has given him all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live. But you shall go to my father's house and to my relatives and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, suppose the woman does not follow me. He said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you to make your journey successful. And you will take a wife for my son from my relatives and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath. And when you come to my relatives and if they do not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. So I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you will make my journey on which I go successful, um, make my journey successful, behold, I'm standing by the spring and may it be that the maiden who comes out to draw and to whom I say, 
please let me drink a little water from your jar. And she will say to me, your, you drink and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder and she went down to the spring and drew. And I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I will and I will water your camels also. So I drank and she watered the camels also. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. And I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist. And I bowed low and worshiped the Lord. And I blessed the Lord God, God of my master Abraham, who had guided me in the right way to the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. So now, if you are going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, let me know that I may, that I may turn to the right hand or the left hand. Okay, let me stop there. So basically what we have in all of that lengthy text that I just read to you is nothing more than Eliezer rehearsing. He's simply telling him from the time that Abraham made the vow of Sarah's death, that Sarah was dead. Abraham made him take a vow to get a son from his wife from the land of Canaan. And now he prayed and how he prayed to God for Abraham believed. I'm sorry, I'm doing a little skipping. Abraham believed that God would make his journey successful. And therefore he went on the journey and he also prayed that God would make his journey successful in what he asked God for a sign. Let a woman that he called be the one that God has chosen. And he simply rehearses that God had done all of those things when Rebecca came and offered him drink, gave him a drink and watered also his camels. And so he ends basically and says in verse number 49, and we can see Eleazar's right to the point. All right. So let me know. Are you going once again, remember that issue I talked about earlier about Chesed? We see that once again showing loving kindness. So if you're going to deal kindly and truly show chesed to Abraham, his master, let me know if you're going to give the woman, let me know if you're going to give the woman to my master for a wife for his son. So let me know if you're going to deal with her, deal with him in kindness and in truth. All right. But anyway, so let's go on. So I can know exactly what I'm going to do, whether I'm going to turn to the left hand or the right hand. So let, so I'll know what to do from this point. All right. Verse number 50, we're continuing. Then Laban and Bethel, that is the brother and the father replied, the matter comes from the Lord. So we cannot speak to you bad or good. Here's Rebecca before you take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, once again, he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. The servant brought out articles of silver and articles of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank, spent the night. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the girl stay with us a few days, say 10 afterwards. She may go. He said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, we will call the girl and consult her wishes. So now let's talk about that. So the narrative continues on and we see once they told, once he told that is Eleazar informed the family led by Laban of what had taken place. Notice the response of Laban and Bethel. They said the matter comes from the Lord, that the matter comes from Yahweh. Once again, this strengthens the statement, the position that I have that even if the family were not worshipers of the true and living God, they had some knowledge because notice they, when he was asking them, so, okay, tell me, what are you going to do? 
Are you going, that's Eleazar, are you going to give, the, give this daughter to my master's son for a wife? Are you going to do that? Notice they were simply saying when they said it is from the Lord, they were saying it's not up to us. God has already made this sovereign choice. God has already made the decision. It's not for us to make the decision since it is clear from the story that you have told from the things, the events that have taken place. It is clear God has chosen Rebecca. So it's not for us to decide. It's already decided. So all we're going to simply do is here she is. Take her and let her be married to your son. And once again, what do we see? Eleazar bowing down to worship God. So it's clear stated, as I stated earlier, Eleazar is also a worshiper of the true and living God. So he worships God in thanksgiving. And once again, he gives wonderful, expensive gifts. That's why he brought all those 10 camels to Rebecca. And he also gave gifts to Laban, the one who is who's doing the contract of marriage. So um, to the family, this is what we call the bridal price, bridal price. And he gives wonderful gifts to her mother as well. Okay. So then he spends the night. He spends the night there. And once again, Eleazar is a man of business. He wakes up in the morning and says, all right, that's good. Thank you for the lodging. Thank you for your hospitality. Let me go back to my master and, and send the woman with me. And so when he asked to go back immediately, that is the very next day, you saw that the mother and the brother, well, they, they, they didn't want the, their sister the, 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 the mother didn't want her daughter. Laban didn't want his sister just to leave right away. So they asked for a delay of 10 days. Let us stay. Let us stay with us 10 more days. Eliezer didn't want to stay 10 days. He wanted to get down to business. He wanted to go back home to Abraham to show him that how God had prospered. The journey gave him the wife for his son. He wanted to go immediately. And so they, they all determined, I tell you what, let the girl decide. Let the girl decide whether she wants to leave immediate or whether she wants to remain with us for a few more days before she goes way off to be another man's wife forever. OK, so now let's get to that part. Verse number 58. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? Ideas immediate. And she said, I will go. Thus, they sent her sent their sister, Rebecca. I'm sorry. Thus, they sent away their sister, Rebecca, and her nurse with Abraham's servant and his men. They blessed Rebecca and said to her, may you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands and may your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebecca arose with her maids and they mounted the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. So now let's talk about that part. So they came to Rebecca and asked her her wishes. Do you want to go right now? And she said, yes, I do. Now, here's where I want to also show you something, too. OK, this is the second part. We see number one. I'm rehearsing this again Two uh, part, two things about the nature of God, two aspects of the nature of God. That is the providence, how God provides for his people. And in providence, you see the guidance of God, how God guided, God guided uh, Eleazar to the will. God guided Rebecca to the will. We see that God guided the hearts of these people. He guided the heart of Abraham. He guided the heart of even Laban and Bethel. He guided the heart of Rebecca. That's what we're seeing here. She's agreeing immediately to leave the providence of God. We see the sovereignty of God and how God is directing this whole situation so quietly beyond, behind the scenes. But nevertheless, the hand of God is absolutely obvious. OK, but not only that, what we also see is the God working together with the will of men. So even though God is doing all of these things, he's not doing it apart from men's will is working in conjunction. He is working in conjunction with the will of man. And that, that is just a beautiful, you know, if I, I almost feel like preaching, that is so beautiful 
when it deals with the very nature of salvation itself. Salvation, that's the very idea of the word elect, election. It is done by the will of God. It is the providence, the sovereignty of God that is at work in saving us. But God does not save us against our will. There are actions we must take. We must believe, even though we already know it is God who provides the faith. So see the beauty of this thing, providence, sovereignty, as it is to God, working along with men that is in conjunction with faith, in conjunction with action. And we see this principle, even, uh, let me leave that alone because it is so wonderfully tied to the work of salvation, God's actions of salvation. But anyway, so we also see here in the text, watch this now. Remember I told you about, it seems clear that the family of Rebecca, Bethel's house, was a family of some means. We see Rebecca's nursemaid was sent with her. That is the, the little nurse who raised her from the time that she was a baby. So in order to have a nursemaid, you got to have some wealth. And also you see when they got ready to send her out, Rebecca arose at verse number 61. Not only with her nursemaid, but also with her maids in plural. So it wasn't just simply Rebecca who left with her nursemaid, Rebecca with other women. The Bible didn't say how many it was, but other women. The point here is Rebecca's family were a family of means. So you see Abraham being a man of great wealth and it's clear that Bethel was a man of some wealth as well. So they sent her out and she went. Now she's going back to Isaac. That is going back to Abraham's son. That's what we want to see. So let's finish it. Verse 62. Now Isaac was, had come from going to Be'er Laha Roi. For he was living in the Negev. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes, and behold, uh, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. She said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, He is my master. Then she took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother's Sarah's tent and he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. Thus, Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. All right. So now the journey about 400 and so, some odd miles back home is completed. And Rebekah and her maids had gone down to there. So it sir happened. Notice again the perchance events that are taking place. Again, dealing with providence. Isaac is going out into the field to meditate or to pray or to pray or whatever. We don't know exactly what's on Isaac's mind. The Bible didn't tell us, but he's going out into the field. The very moment he's going out into the field, guess who happens to be coming back? Eleazar with his wife. And guess what? They, they see each other. Isaac see the camels, and it seems that su to suggest he, he has identified this Eliezer coming back. So he goes out to meet them. Uh, Rebecca sees uh, Isaac, and so she asks Eliezer, who is it? And he says, that's my master's son. Or in other words, that's your husband. So what does she do? She dismounts the camel, and she covers her face. And this was basically an act of hu uh, uh, humility. In doing so, especially men in which the woman didn't know at all, but it's an act of humility as she would greet her new husband. OK, so she meets him. Isaac receives her, accepts her as a wife. They are married. He, he, he goes into her and he moves her into the tent of his mother. And so then we see where he said he was comforted concerning his mother. So that's the point is Isaac missed his mother and his heart. Remember, very Previous chapter, chapter 23, his mother had died, which made Isaac about 37 years old. So now we see she's filling a void in his life in becoming his wife. And so we see him, him loving, <laughs> loving Rebecca. She's taking, filling that place of emptiness in his heart. 
And now God has fulfilled his promise. Now, in saying all of that, again, you see what? Again, there's the theme. Now we can see the theme in chapter 24. Providence of God, the sovereignty of God. Providence, how God provides for his people. Sovereignty, how the hand of God is always at work. Completing and fulfilling God's will. Rebecca is the will of God for Isaac. Okay, so we see that. And then also we see working in conjunction with God is the obedience of his servants. We see Abraham's obedience of faith. God will provide a wife for my son. We see the obedience of faith with Eleazar. We see the obedience of Rebecca when she willingly choosing, chooses to go with them. Okay. Now, in saying all of that, that it brings me to another point. And I guess that I made another video for that, so I'm not going to com comment a lot about it. God chose a wife for Isaac, and that's what we see in the text. But it does not necessarily mean that this is a guiding principle for believers throughout all times. That is, just because God chose a bride, a wife, for Isaac, it is not saying that God would choose a wife for all believers, that God will send you a husband or God will send you a wife. See the video that I did upon that particular text. But anyway, we've been long enough in Genesis chapter 24. Thanks guys for watching. Next time we come back, we will be in chapter 25, dealing with the life of Abraham and his other wife as we bring this closure on Abraham's life to an end. See you next time.